as Sheila mentioned, the, uh, you know, the presence of the Holy Spirit is really tangible this morning, isn't it? And um, you know, the Holy Spirit is front and centre of who we are and all that we do. Um, because we believe that the scriptures point to the Holy Spirit being the difference maker in our lives. And it's why we've been running this series on Ephesians and what the Holy Spirit has to teach us. So about what Paul's letter to Ephesians has to teach us about the Holy Spirit. And this week we're uh, hot on the hills of Jill's fantastic talk from Ephesians 4 about the, the central importance of the Holy Spirit to maintain unity in our relationships. And this week we're in Ephesians 5 where Paul gets even more practical about how the Holy Spirit guides our lives. Now speaking of journeys, you would have noticed a couple of weeks ago that uh, Anthea and I were away and uh, we were on a spirit-filled mission, but of a very different type, at the Glasgow Whiskey Festival. <laughs> and, uh, so uh, here's me uh, practicing my discernment of spirits. <laughs> and um, on the way to Glasgow, I noticed in the back seat of the car that we were in um, that there was one of these. Remember those? Do you remember the, uh, the family tensions that arose from using one of those? Yeah? Yes. Yes. Actually, actually, they were fine if everything went to plan according to the route that you'd written out. I, I say fine, but even then, you could only get so close to where you were going, couldn't you? You could actually get right to the address you wanted. But like, if you made a mistake, or if there was an accident or roadworks, then you were really, it was terrible, wasn't it? And, it's like, and particularly if you were on your own in the car, it was like you were really stuffed. <laughs> Navigating a car journey now with a sat-nav is so much easier, isn't it? Well, usually it's so much easier... <laughs> Because as I discovered whilst driving home, uh, it's not completely foolproof, uh, particularly when there's driver error. But here's the wonderful, and we've all been there, haven't we? Here's the wonderful thing about sat-navs, is that you can ignore your sat-nav and you can disobey it as many times as you like and it won't get upset with you. It won't criticise you or the way that you're driving and it won't judge your navigation decisions. So, despite our sat-nav trying to turn me around several times and me ignoring it, it remained incredibly patient and it just kept giving me the best route possible forward from whatever point I was at. Sat-navs are so forgiving. And it got me thinking that this is a, a great metaphor for how our relational God guides us. Yeah, God never forces our free will choices, even when we think we know the best way. God accepts us, 
and the decisions that we make, God is generous to us, even when we mess up. And even though it might take a while for us to accept the guidance, God is enduringly patient and forgiving in the meantime. God just keeps showing us the best way forward for our lives or whatever point we are and waits for us to follow. So you're thinking, what has any of this got to do with Ephesians 5? Well, uh, the Gentile Christians, the church of Ephesus, didn't have uh, a tradition of following God, like the Jewish Christians did. If you like, they didn't have access to the paper maps to guide them. So instead, Paul shows them how to journey with God whilst navigating the road conditions, the tensions of their day. As he says in verse 18 of Ephesians 5, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Or following my metaphor, that's like being guided by the satnav. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is like us being guided by the satnav. Now, our lives are, of course, much more complicated than the simple destinations that we put into a satnav. So, where does the Holy Spirit guide us exactly? Well, Paul sets the destination right at the start of Ephesians 5 when he writes this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in, or perhaps more literally, walk in the way of love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So as complicated as our life journeys are, the Holy Spirit will always guide us to imitate God. That's our destination. Romans 8.14 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And how do children learn to live? By imitating their parents. But if you think about it, that's really an incredible statement that Paul is making here. Like, imitate God, the eternal source of all creation. Really? Really? Imitate God? Like, that's a big deal, isn't it? It's a big deal to be asked to imitate God. Actually, by the way, this is the only time in the entire Bible that the phrase to imitate God is actually used. And it's an even bigger deal if you've like, got no history of being guided in the ways of God. If you've never even seen, let alone used the paper maps, how would you know? How would you know it's the Holy Spirit and not your own spirit? How do you know? It's like me at the Whiskey Festival... How do I know which spirit to choose when confronted with 250 bottles? It's a problem. There were some very expensive whiskies there. So in verses 1 to 20 of Ephesians 5, um, Paul explains how 
they should recognise that it's the Holy Spirit. And he says this, so in verses 1 to 2, we know it's God's Holy Spirit if it leads us to love sacrificially. We know it's God's Holy Spirit if, verses 3 to 14, the fruit of our lives brings light to us and others. And we know it's God's Holy Spirit, in verses 15 to 20, if we are led, it leads us to walk in wisdom. So sacrificial love, bringing light as the fruit of our lives to us and others, and walking in wisdom is how we know it's the Holy Spirit. And Paul pulls no punches in those same verses by comparing this way of living to the general culture he characterises as immoral, self-serving, unfruitful, dark, superficial, foolish. That's what Paul's doing in those verses. He's contrasting the road conditions, if you like, that the Ephesian Christians were facing to life in the spirit. And then he goes on. So he gives them a very, very practical example of what this actually looks like. So from verse 21 on, he teaches them about how all this works in their household relationships. How Christians are to be guided in the home. In the New Living, if you've got a New Living translation, you'll see that very helpfully it heads up this section, Spirit-Guided Relationships. And my prayer is that River Church will always be known as a church community that has relationships that are being guided by the Spirit. So Paul begins with husbands and wives, and then he carries on, um, a bit inconveniently for our series, into chapter 6 with children and parents and slaves and their masters. I know why couldn't Paul just keep to our strict divisions bit of an issue but no worries we can rise to the challenge Andy next week is going to start from chapter 6 verse 10 and in case you're wondering because next week of course is our Christmas gathering okay uh, Andy is actually recording the last part of this series and so you're all going to get it and you can listen and watch to it whenever you like fantastic thank you Andy Okay, so back to the text and the question of why does Paul devote 22 verses in Ephesians, which is a big chunk of that letter, to how relationships in the home should be guided by the Holy Spirit. You see, the household was a big deal to Roman life. It was literally the foundational unit of their world you know, it was the engine room of a society that didn't have the type of social, social safety nets that we enjoy today. And in Roman culture, it was highly ordered and highly structured. So Paul chooses the most fundamental and the most influential area of their lives to practically show them what it means to live in relationships guided by the Holy Spirit. But it's also clearly where the tensions were surfacing for them. Tensions between husbands and wives, between 
families and their children, between masters and their slaves. Tensions about how to navigate the road conditions of their day and yet faithfully follow Christ. It was the place where spirit-guided relationships of sacrificial love, light-bearing fruit and wisdom were needed the most. And I believe it's, it's exactly the same for us today. How we live with those closest to us is the most important challenge and often the most difficult challenge we face. It's important because many of us, for many of us, this is where our lives have the greatest long-term impact, shaping those closest to us. But difficult because this is also where our true selves are most exposed and most visible. We know, don't we, that our parents, our partners, our children, our siblings always know exactly which buttons to push, don't they? Yeah? And I also think for this reason, it's why our families are often the place where we face our toughest spiritual battles. Which is also interesting in light of chapter 6 and where this letter goes. Now, at the centre of the Roman household was the head. Here we go. Oh, look at that. Here we go. We have a, a very central head of a Roman household. And of course, it was a man, it was a father, it was a superior who had total power and authority over everything in his home, property and people. And it was the responsibility of the father to control, to rule, to keep everything in order. That's how it worked. And I think that's the reason why Paul talks more about the responsibilities of the husband in those 22 verses. Now, wives get the first three, but Paul is really concerned with the husband. By the way, there is a, there is a small little important detail there in the way that uh, Paul addresses wives in those three verses. Uh, and he addresses them as people in their own right who have free choice to submit or not to their husbands. Uh, this is totally subversive in a Roman world, in a Roman culture, because women were viewed as incapable of making their own free will decisions. They had to be ruled by their men. Because the Holy Spirit always respects our free will choices. Paul is making this point. And he's not favouring men by talking about men more. Rather, he's recognising that to undermine the Roman culture of power and control, it's those who have the most power who have the greatest responsibility to change it. Yeah, that's why he's talking to the husbands. Because they had the power to make the change for good for Christ. And he starts in verse 21 by dropping a bomb. He says, be subject to one another. I'll say that again. Be subject to one another. It's explosive because everything in the Roman household was subject to the superior man. And there was absolutely... 
No expectation he would ever have to submit to anybody, not his wife, not his children, certainly not his slaves. Okay, but Paul makes it clear here that to be filled with the Spirit means the practice of mutual submission. And that requires sacrificial love of the husband, of the power figure. And in Paul, in, inver- in in verse 28, Paul doubles down on this aspect of mutual love by perhaps even more controversially teaching that husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Remember, wives were the legal properties of their husbands. And so in contrast, Paul teaches that wives are to be shown the highest level of love and respect possible. Love as you love yourself. And he goes on in verses 31 and 32 to talk about sexual fidelity because that wasn't a strict requirement of love for a Roman husband either. But Paul makes it clear that that's definitely expected of Christian men. It's mutual love and submission. So these are Paul's practical examples to husbands and wives, but mainly to husbands about what spirit-guided relationships look like based on mutual submission rooted in sacrificial love, subject to one another. Now, today, of course, we live with very different expectations about our family households, don't we? But sadly, there are still tensions in our families because of how power, authority and control is exercised. So Paul's radical call for us to submit to one another is just as important. And it applies even more so to those of us who are in the positions of power and influence. Even if we're sharing that power, we have the responsibility to make the change. So let's ask the Holy Spirit this morning. Are our lives reflecting mutual submission and sacrificial love? in our homes, within our wider families. And there are many fantastic models, role models in this church of just that. And I think, especially if you're younger, I would really encourage you to go and seek them out and spend some time with some older folk and ask them about their relationships. Okay, moving quickly on to chapter 6. Paul continues... Uh, his teaching into the households and um, again another source of tension which is children how do we bring up our children and Paul basically appeals to what he knows to Hebrew tradition, to his scriptures he talks about honouring your father and your mother And also in the second half of verse 4 of chapter 6, he says this, Fathers, bring them up, that's children, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this is Old Testament wisdom teaching that Paul is applying to them. And he's saying that in the Christian home, wisdom is being guided by the Holy Spirit to create environments of peace and respect where giving honour is encouraged and where shame is not used as a way of keeping control. 
That's what it means to bring wisdom to a Christian house. Today, we, we also live in a society where healthy honour and respect is in short supply, isn't it? But it's also increasingly driven by shame. And that often starts in our households, in our families. So let's ask the Holy Spirit this morning to show us how we can walk in wisdom and how we can create environments of peace, of respect, where we encourage honour and we discourage all forms of humiliation and shame. Okay, final block. Paul then goes on to address the issue of masters and their slaves. And here, Paul is bringing light to a fundamental issue within Roman society. Now, I realise that Paul didn't go the whole way and teach abolition of slavery, which I know seems very strange to us, even offensive in our time. But household slavery was so ingrained in the culture that abolition probably would have resulted in slaves being left in a more vulnerable position. And so it wouldn't have been seen as redemptive for Paul. But what he does, he turns uh, the whole relationship between Christian masters and their slaves upside down in how they relate to one another. And so he says this in chapter 6, verse 9, which is really revolutionary. He says, and masters do the same to them. Stop threatening them, for you know that both of you have the same master in heaven, and with him there is no partiality. Notice that Paul says stop. He's writing to Christian husbands who must, of course, be used to threatening their slaves. He says stop. Stop doing it, but now treat them with impartiality because this is what imitating God is all about. They, like you, are made in the image of God. And Paul's letter would have been read out to the whole household at exactly the same time, which would have practically made the point about God's impartiality. Because slaves wouldn't have ever expected in that culture to be recognised in that way, with sitting down with the rest of the household and being read a letter, a spit of in a very special event, to get a letter from Paul to be read to your house. And yet they were being given that dignity and respect Today, of course, we don't have household slaves. I'm not counting here cleaners and ironers and all that stuff. But we do live in a world where bias and prejudice clearly do so much damage and where we need to bring light into those dark places. Closer to home... If we're honest, we also can be guilty of bias and favouritism and often unintentionally taking people for granted so we get what we want. And so this morning, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to shine a light into our relational comfort zones that often can lead to favouritism. Sometimes it even results in prejudice. You know, all of our voices are important. So let's be a part together of breaking down the barriers 
so we all get heard. Okay, wrapping this up now. Um, immediately after our gathering this morning, Jacob, Jacob here and I are dashing up to, to Manchester to visit Namisha, our daughter, and to go out to a, a gig later. And I'm definitely going to uh, be turning on and following the sat-nav, okay, uh, to make sure I get there on time. And if it's important uh, for my car journey, surely it's significantly more important for us all to be aware of and to follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit as we navigate the tensions that we all face in our lives. Not to get somewhere on time or a certain way, but to travel towards our destination, which is to imitate our generous God in sacrificial love, in bringing light to dark places, and to help us walk in wisdom. And it's especially important in the places and the spaces where we have the most influence and we're most visible. And you know, for most of us, that's in our homes, it's in our families, with those closest to us, in those relationships that are so precious to us. Tina. Yes, Tina. I'd really like us to uh, pray and minister to one another this morning in the time that we have left. I do mean, if that's okay, all of us. Because I'd like us all this morning to leave with a greater awareness of the Holy Spirit's guiding presence in our lives but also that we'll leave a little bit more determined to follow where the Holy Spirit leads us, which is to imitate God. In a minute, I'm just going to ask you where you are or really to move around. Let's just pray for one another. And I particularly want to pray for anyone this morning who's facing a difficult family situation, who's got uh, relational tensions or difficulties at home, difficulties in their wider families that have been difficult to resolve, I'd really like us to pray and stand with you so that as you become more aware of the Holy Spirit guiding you, then you can be helped to bring more light and sacrificial love and wisdom into those situations. Because that's so important. Is that okay? Can we pray? Can we pray for one another? Particularly if you are facing a, a difficult family situation please go and seek someone out and ask for prayer as we move around. Let's move around and pray.